If you walked by Cambridge City Hall last week, no peace. No no peace. you'd see a really long line of people marching in a really long oval in front of the City Hall lawn. You'd see that a lot of them had these signs with these big bolded letters, think all caps, Justice for Faisal. And, I mean, they weren't just there for a few minutes or a few hours. They were there day after day, for up to 10 hours straight at a time, for the whole week. What did they want? Last week, the Crimson's police accountability reporters went to City Hall to check it out. From Plimpton Street, this is News Talk. I'm Frank So. This week on News Talk, the week-long picketing at City Hall for Syed Faisal. And just as a note, our conversation with Ryan and Yusuf was recorded last week. Hi, my name is Yusuf Esmia, class of 25, and I cover Harvard and Cambridge Police. Hi, my name is Ryan H. Donwin, class of 2025, and I also cover the Cambridge and Harvard Police Departments for the Crimson. Thank you so much, Yusuf and Ryan, for joining us on the show today. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the picketing. Say you were walking by Cambridge City Hall this week. What would you see? If you happened to stumble upon Cambridge City Hall anytime after 8 a.m. during one of the weekdays this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you'd probably come across this very loud group of protesters uh, waving signs and marching in a large oval along the length of the sidewalk that's adjacent to Cambridge City Hall. And the City Hall is a brown, like tan block building. Uh, It's very institutional um, and it has these bright green lawns um, right in front of it. And the protesters are basically occupying every outside space they can. Um, The sidewalk, they have their materials on the lawn from signs to art to food to water bottles. And so it's, it's a very colorful scene, I would say, full of people and students from um, all different backgrounds. And it's a very, I would say, loud scene. There's, there's a, a ton of noise there. Um, there's no one moment of silence because there's always a chant happening or someone is giving a speech. It's very visceral. The protesters here are making very specific demands. That is um, in regards to the case of Saeed Faisal, who was a 20-year-old student at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. Um, he was shot and killed by Cambridge police in January. And his death has led to sort of a series of conversations and protests on policing in Cambridge and on calls for police reform and calls for really rethinking how public safety in Cambridge works. And right now, the protesters are really focused in on a few key demands, and that is they want the officers involved in Faisal's death to be named by the department, fired, and prosecuted, as well as for the release of the unredacted police report. Now, uh, it's a little bit of tension because these demands are things that city officials have repeatedly said will not happen until the completion of a pending investigation by the Middlesex District Attorney's Office. And so protesters are getting frustrated because they feel like they've been reiterating these demands for many months now, and city officials are, you know, have made clear that this is not something that can happen from their end until this investigation is completed. And so that's kind of what led to the picketing, and that's really what the picketers are focused about. So, you know, they're maybe chanting about their demands, saying their demands, and really just trying to send a message to the city that they're planning on staying there until their demands are met. 
Mm, for sure. Thank you so much. So it sounds like there's quite a bit of tension, right, between um, city officials or at least the sort of city side and uh, the protesters themselves. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about who the protesters are. Sure. So we've seen protesters come from a range of different groups. The most consistent one has been the Party for Socialism and Liberation, but they've also been joined by the Safe Schools Somerville uh, Bangladesh Association of New England, which is also abbreviated Bain, um, as well as just students from various Boston area universities, so Harvard, MIT, UMass Boston, BU, Northeastern, etc. And these protesters are generally college-aged um, students. That's, that's what we've seen before, um, and that's a characteristic that they pride themselves on. I wonder, too, if there are any sort of local activists that aren't a part of universities that have come out or sort of what the constituents breakdown would be. Yes, there have definitely been local activists involved in these protests and rallies. They're usually tied to this area some way. Um, so whether they're a Cambridge resident who lived uh, near the area where Faisal was shot or they have close mutual friends um, or they just know the family. Um, in addition, FISO's teachers uh, have been involved in speaking at some of these protests. If you could offer us some of the logistical details for the picketing, what has the turnout looked like? In terms of the logistics of this week, um, the picketing has also included uh, some non-picketing events. So on Monday, they had an iftar dinner, which organizers said was really important because Faisal's family was, is practicing Muslim. They said a lot of the organizers and members of the Bangladeshi community here are Muslim, so it was important for them to do that, they said. They also had a, a community uh, mural painting session on one Wednesday, I believe, and on Thursday, they had an open mic, um, and on Friday, they had a rally, and they've had rallies throughout the week as well, on, on Monday as well. So um, there's been some kind of non-picketing uh, events sprinkled in throughout the week. And then in terms of the actual picketing, it's been um, pretty consistent. Yes, so in addition to the iftar dinner, the community mural, and the open mic, event, open mic events, there have been a couple other um, small initiatives, like a press conference that occurred on Monday in which organizers spoke to the press on their demands and what, what they want to see from the city. And on Friday, there was a speak out that, that occurred. And um, in terms of what the actual picket looks like, we, we have volunteers or we, we see volunteers that sign up for different shifts to basically march in this super long oval along the length of the sidewalk um, that's next to City Hall. And, and they're just chanting and marching. The chants are something like, oh, jail those killer cops or um, we want justice and we want it now. And all the while, they're holding signs saying, release the names, justice for Faisal. So it's, it's a pretty colorful scene. Um, and on the lawn of the Cambridge City Hall, you see volunteers working on different artwork uh, to commemorate Faisal or to demand justice. Um, and other volunteers uh, playing instruments and dancing. For sure. I wonder if we could revisit um, the circumstances of Faisal's case uh, a little bit more. So we know so far that he's a 20-year-old student at UMass Boston who was shot and killed by police. I wonder if you could tell us more details surrounding the case and its immediate aftermath. So on the afternoon of January 4th of this year, a 911 call was made to Cambridge City Police, basically reporting that a man had jumped through a window and was harming himself. Protesters have basically cited that as being evidence that there was a mental health crisis uh, involved in Faiso's case. 
but when officers were dispatched to the scene, Faiso fled, and what ensued was a five-block foot chase through Cambridgeport, which is the area between Harvard and MIT. It's closer to MIT. And apparently, um, according to CPD press release, Faiso had approached officers wielding a, a kukri knife, um, which is a knife that's common in the Nepal region. And um, when a sponge round that an officer fired failed to stop him from advancing further, the officer shot and killed him. Zooming out a little bit then, is this a part of a history of cases that have occurred in the um, Boston area and in Cambridge? Uh, it, does Faisal stand out in particular? Has that factored into how protesters have responded? Yeah, so one response from the Cambridge Police Department has been that this was the first officer-involved police shooting leading to a death in, I, I think, over 20 years, something like that. Yes, the last one that occurred was in 2002. Correct. There have been other instances of police killings in Boston and the area, but I don't know that um, people have made like a you know a history of complaints against Cambridge police. Thank you for that. So I wonder then if we could talk a little bit about what happened in the days uh, maybe one or two weeks following uh, Faisal's death, how did Cambridge residents and local activists respond? Yeah, so almost immediately there was protesting going on. Um, at City Hall, just the day after his death, there was the first protest that we saw. And there was you know, another protest at City Hall in the coming days. At the first city council meetings that occurred immediately after this event, you know, many community members came out and spoke out and said, um, you know, called for action and called for reform and really spoke out against the incident and you know city councilors were addressing it the mayor addressed it there was a community held meeting a special meeting held by the city with residents where residents expressed a lot of frustration a lot of critique of the city's response and really directed a lot of angst at city manager Yan Huang and police chief Christine Elo and, and other just city officials so right off the bat there was a large community response and pro- a series of protests and people were really coming together in response to this killing. So we've talked a little bit about what happened, how people responded, who the protesters are. Yusuf, you started our conversation with a little bit delineating their demands. I wonder then if we could talk a little bit about the city's response, which um, it sounds like there are a number of constituents here from Cambridge police to city officials. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what they've been saying and if their response has evolved in the weeks and months following the shooting. City officials have maintained that the full-on redacted police report, um, as well as the names of the officers involved in FISO's death, won't be released until the Middlesex District Attorney's investigation into the matter is complete. And so although protesters um, want to see that happen now, I think City Manager Huang, as well as um, other officials, have, have kept saying that, no, we need to wait for the investigation to be done. City Manager Huang actually agreed to meet with a group of students and activists from Boston Party for Socialism and Liberation as well recently. And he said, you know, he wanted to hear their demands out and hear where they're coming from. But that meeting kind of didn't obviously lead to the same conclusion because, again, um, the city is still maintaining that, you know, the investigation needs to be completed and the protesters are maintaining that the names need to be released now. But in terms of response from the city, the city has also taken some actions in um, response to this incident. Uh, The city council has adopted some uh, measures on the issue of body cameras, which was at issue kind of in this case because Cambridge police officers are not currently equipped with body cameras, so we don't have that firsthand account of what happened. Um, And so they've passed forth a measure to advance a program, you know, implementation of a program for body cameras. The city has also discussed further funding of police, you know, non-police public safety alternatives. 
So it's funding for the city's community safety department, which is kind of like a proposed initiative where mental health professionals and other non-police responders would respond to certain 911 calls. And the city has contracted uh, the Police Executive Research Forum, which is a, a, a police nonprofit think tank to conduct an external review. So the city has also kind of been doing things on their own end, even if it's not maybe meeting the demands of the protesters, of doing some sorts of actions in response to this event. Is the week's events just as much about a celebration of life as it is about a protest of demands unmet, or would that be a too far a characterization? I wouldn't say it's a celebration of life because life was taken away by the Cambridge City Police uh, side FISO. And so I would say instead it's a community coming together for a common cause. And that's why they want to have the iftar dinner because, I mean, people are protesting from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or even later. And everyone's hungry. Um, They're united in this cause. Uh, They want to basically act as one. Yeah, um, I think one other interesting thing we heard is a lot of organizers talked to the talked about the events as um, uplifting and in a demoral maybe from what they see as a demoralizing time in terms of their demands not being met. Um, it's like boosting their spirits, and they found it inspiring the people coming together to do this. So, yes, people talked a lot about solidarity between different um, like ethnic and racial backgrounds uh, and ages as well. You see students collaborating with older members of the Bangladeshi American community. And in addition, this picket is a little bit different from past events and initiatives that protesters have held because it's a sustained movement. And they've really hyped up that sustained aspect. Oh, it's a week-long thing, and we're doing it for the entire day. Um, we are not going to go away, and we're only going to lengthen and make stronger our, our actions. In addition to drawing attention to Side Faisal's case, protesters have also been conscious of worldwide and national um, incidents that have occurred across the country. So notably, um, like one week after Saeed Faisal was killed by Cambridge City Police, Tyree Nichols was um, killed, and that has also been tied into the discussion of a lot of protesters iterating demands. Um, and they equate, or they just bring tie both instances uh, together as instances of police brutality. Um, and they reference the history of police brutality in the United States, um, talk about George Floyd, so it's definitely not as if they're they're talking about Side Faisal's case in a silo. They're they're connecting it to other cases and people and history. Last question then, where do we go from here? Are the protesters signaling that they will be steadfast in their demands? Has the city remained resolute? Will the stalemate continue? Yeah, so I think the protesters have made it that we've talked to even have made it clear that like, you know, even after you know, their meeting after this picketing week, um, they're not planning on being done. They're going to be, you know, be back maybe at city council meetings, maybe at other protests. We don't know exactly what their plans are. From what we've seen, like, it seems pretty clear that the city is not planning on, you know, caving on at least these specific demands in terms of releasing the names of the officers before the investigation is complete. So it's very possible that we would see continued protests and continued, like the events we're seeing, continuing to play out for many more weeks until with no resolution. Protests have been occurring on a regular basis for months now. The case happened in January and it's already April. So there's no reason to expect that it is going to change in any way. Next, $300 million, a Republican megadonor, and a new name for Harvard's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. 
Hi, my name is Rahim Dihamid, class of 2025, here at the college, and I'm in the FAS administration reporter for the Crimson. Hey, I'm Elias J. Shiskel. I'm a sophomore at Harvard College. I'm the other FAS administration reporter at the Crimson. Welcome, Elias and Rahim, to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're talking about the GSAS, the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, which now is a new name. Could you tell us a little bit about what the new name is and who it's named for? Yes, the GSAS is now the Kenneth C. Griffin, class of 1989, uh, Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. Uh, Griffin gave $300 million uh, to FAS in general, and so GSAS falls under FAS. He gave $300 million to FAS, uh, which has brings his overall contribution to Harvard to over $500 million. And as a result, the university renamed their Graduate School of Arts and Sciences after him. Yeah, I think it's maybe just important to note that this is an unrestricted donation to FAS. So um, Claudine Gay, the dean of FAS, and, and the people who work under her will be able to spend that money in whatever manner they see fit um, without any restrictions on its use. You know, like Rahim said, the GSAS will be named after him, even though the money is not going directly to GSAS. Got it. Could you tell us a little bit about Griffin? Who is he? And, you know, you mentioned he has a history as a donor with the university. Could you tell us a little bit about him? Absolutely. So uh, Griffin is an alum of Harvard College. He is the CEO of Citadel LLC, which is a multi-billion dollar hedge fund. Um, and he personally has a net worth of, um, you know, tens of billions of dollars himself. Um, he's been a major philanthropist to a lot of charitable causes. He's also given previously to Harvard. Uh, the biggest uh, example of that was um, some years ago when he gave $150 million, uh, mostly in support of Harvard's financial aid efforts. And um, after that donation, they renamed the financial aid office after him. So anybody who has dealt with or corresponded with the Harvard Financial Aid Office will know them as the Griffin Financial Aid Office, which is named after him. And the other aspect of this is that he's also been a major political donor um, and largely to the uh, Republican Party. Um, he has given to some Democratic candidates. He donated $500,000 to Joe Biden's inaugural committee, but that's pretty drastically eclipsed by the amount of money that he's given to Republicans. In 2022, in that election cycle, he was the third largest political donor, period. $60 million was the amount that he gave in total, and that was almost entirely to Republicans. Um, and then he's also recently spoken out in support of Ron DeSantis um, as a presidential candidate in 2024. Um, and so this donation has actually spurred a little bit of controversy on Harvard's campus in, really, in relation to Griffin's political activities. Thank you so much. You know, you mentioned a little bit of controversy surrounding this donation. I wonder if you could tell us how students and faculty have reacted to this move. Theda Scotchpaul, who's a professor here at Harvard um, and a former dean of the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, she um, condemned Griffin's donation and the fact that Harvard accepted it in pretty strong terms, linking it to his support for DeSantis. And she argued that that amounted to, you know, him being a figure who represented um sort of illiberal ideas and the repression of speech. But Scotchball isn't really like the only person who weighed in on this. Uh, we talked to Harry R. Lewis, who was uh, a former dean of the college. He said that it made complete sense. He said that um, Griffin's given $300 million. Graduate education is not a particularly easy thing uh, to raise money for. So $300 million is a lot of money. And it makes sense to rename an institution after him if you've given that much money. We talked to a professor uh, in the economics department who said something similar, said that we shouldn't take people's political views into account when we accept money from, from, from them around. Yeah, and I think that divide is also pretty well reflected among students. Um, there have been several who have said 
that, you know, they're really upset by this donation um, because of Griffin's support of DeSantis, um, not just, you know, things having to do with education and academic freedom, but also DeSantis's um, moves on certain LGBTQ issues. Um, but, you know, there have also been students who are perfectly happy with the fact that Harvard has this money and hope that it will be used for, um, you know, to, to just increase the quality of education across the board. And so I think, you know, there's not a uh, united opinion here. For sure. So in terms of material concrete changes to campus, we have a new Griffin GSAS flag that now hangs over Lehman Hall. I wonder if there have been any other major changes or is it business as usual? In the future, I'm not sure if this has happened yet, but any of the merch that you can buy, GSAS merch, so whether that be t-shirts or hats or anything, will say Ken and Sue Griffin Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. You'll see it everywhere. It's the official name of the school now. Yeah, I think another open question beyond just the renaming of the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences is that FAS now has access to this enormous pool of money, $300 million. Like I said, there are actually no restrictions on how that money can be spent. Um, and so where that will go and how I think is going to be a really important open question over the next couple of months and potentially years. Mm, for sure. Have there been any indications from the faculty members or administrators that you've talked to for any items that are top of the list? We haven't really heard anything from faculty or from administrators about, you know, concrete plans to spend it. I will say that in my interviews with graduate students um, uh, over the course of this past week, a lot of them have expressed desires that the money be used to sort of directly benefit um, things like cost of living and graduate student stipends and housing. Um, and so I think there's going to be a big desire from that population to see this money used in that way for direct benefits to graduate students. Yeah, Dean Lewis has something to the effect of he hopes that the money doesn't go towards uh, expanding the administrative bloat of the mm -hmm. college and that it is directly used to improve teaching and, and sort of life at, at, at GSAS. Thank you so much, Rahim and Elias, for joining us to talk about this story. Thank you so much, Frank. Thanks for having us. News Talk is hosted by Frank S. Zoe. Our producers are Gina H. Cho and Frank S. Zhou. Our multimedia chairs are Joey Huang and Julian J. Giordano. Our managing editor is Brandon L. Kingdollar. Music in this episode comes from freesound.org. From 14 Plimpton Street, this is News Talk.